Well, welcome to this special edition of the Novice to Office podcast. I am your extra special host, Trey Bam. Uh, I am testing the fence of this podcast current events policy with today's episode. I'm going to talk about something in the news, but I'm not going to discuss actual current events. Wow, that's really splitting hairs when I say it out loud. But I made a political promise to you in my inauguration that we wouldn't get wrapped up in opinion in current events. Uh, I intend to keep that political promise. So what we're going to do is talk about, yes, the speakership of the U.S. House of Representatives, but I'm going to tell unrecent stories. Uh, That's not current events. I'm going to instead talk about what it is, a little of how it's evolved, and more importantly, I'm going to tell two unrecent stories about the times when the political acrimony in the country was so bad that there wasn't a speaker for a couple of brief moments. Uh, All of this bucking up against our podcast, No Current Event Policy, is intended to do what we absolutely are committed to do here, and that is to demystify government. So in order to accomplish a core goal, we will stretch another goal. I think it can be done. I am, after all, in the political business. Uh, Shout out, as always, to the gang at MarketScale, the producers of the Novice to Office podcast. We turned this one around quick, and they rock. We first hear of the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives in Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution. In the very last paragraph of that section, all it says is that the House must choose. Choose is misspelled. Uh, Then as far as the job itself, the paragraph only names one responsibility that the position has, and that's to conduct an impeachment of another office holder. And that, of course, is in addition to presiding over the chamber generally. The only other place that the speaker appears in U.S. law or, or places like that is in the various presidential succession acts over the years. The one that affects today is the 1947 presidential succession act, where the speaker is placed third in line to the White House. Uh, this order was... Uh, put in the Constitution with the 25th Amendment that was ratified back in 1967. Uh, The Speaker is someone who's chosen to lead the U.S. House, and so in a very crude sense, his or her power is literally derived from the majority of the House members who voted for them. Uh, It is raw, blunt retail politics, 435 people who pick. The Speaker's more specific legal power, however, comes from special rules that are adopted by another majority vote, soon after the speaker is chosen. In other words, there's no overarching law that says what the speaker can or can't do. And in theory, a majority of the House members can choose anyone according to that paragraph's grammar. The speaker does not have to be an actual congressperson. Uh, Now, this has never been tested, but it is probably uh, a majority of historians agree that this is the case. Congress convenes every two years, again, per the Constitution, but when this occurs, all the bills and the chairmanships and the rules, the structure of the two chambers, the House included, that all starts anew. So as soon as members are sworn and have voting power, each chamber adopts their rules for that Congress. Uh, Within those rules for the House are the Speaker's powers and or limitations. These rules are so much of what has changed over the past 250 years uh, to either expand or weaken the power of the Speaker's chair. Uh, In the very early history of the country, most people saw the Speaker 
as a kind of ceremonial presiding officer who simply uh, sat in the chair with the gavel and recognized whose turn it was to talk on the floor and call time and run the proceedings. If someone got unruly, the speaker would direct the sergeant at arms to escort them out, etc., stuff like that. The speaker was someone who almost never got involved in debate and he never voted. Uh, the precedent was set by no less than George Washington uh, when he was the presiding officer during the Constitutional Convention. It was kind of what, you know, the cool dude did. Uh, this changed in the late 1810s with Congressman Henry Clay from Kentucky. Clay didn't have any rules to back him up when he was elected speaker, but he was personally charismatic and had a high political IQ, so he simply began to inject himself in debate, into debate. This led to the kind of the first backroom dealing uh, where he was kind of a broker. Clay proved that a speaker could be a serious player, but absent someone like Clay, the speaker's position is really a, kind of a thankless spot in which it's often impossible to keep everyone happy. Um, more on that in a minute. Regardless, the right personality can make the position very powerful. Uh, chief among the people who've done this over the years were guys like Thomas Reed. He was a Republican from Maine during the 1890s. Joseph Cannon, he was a Republican from Illinois in the early, early 1900s. And Nicholas Longworth, and he was a Republican also from Ohio during the 20s. These guys were important because they built power out of the committee system when it kind of got incorporated into the rules. As laid out in the rules, the speaker makes the committee and committee chairmanship assignments. This was started back then, 100, 150 years ago. Uh, and that's how they aggregate their power. In the U.S. House, committee assignments are the coin of the realm. It's from one of these seats that you get to promote your agenda. Uh, and if you can manage to keep getting reelected, you can accrue some seniority on your committee and hopefully become a chairperson, but you're still up to the speaker. Uh, but perhaps the one individual to give the modern speakership, well, of any time, really, uh, its greatest power was a Democrat from Texas named Sam Rayburn. Uh, Rayburn served as speaker the longest, albeit unconsecutively, during the 1940s and 1950s. Rayburn also holds the distinction of being the only American in history to be the speaker of both his home state's House of Representatives in Austin and that of the Federal Congress. Uh, Rayburn did all this through a combination of skills, but he had two key superpowers. He had an uncanny ability to make you fear making him upset. And then he was also a lifelong bachelor, and so he was fully dedicated to the job. Second only to Franklin Roosevelt, it is Sam Rayburn and Sam Rayburn alone who got the New Deal uh, bills and the World War II programs through Congress, which of course transformed American society and history. Nancy Pelosi, a Democrat from California, also wielded the gavel mightily, and this is often overlooked due to her uh, recent tenure and our hyper-partisan era. But it says a lot about a speaker's effectiveness and general retail skills if they can get reelected after doing some terms in the minority. And that's what happened to her. She was a speaker, then the Democrats lost, and then she came back. Uh, like Rayburn and a handful of others, Pelosi was able to do this. But in general, Rayburn and, and these others we've mentioned, they're more the exception than the norm in the speaker's chair. As I said, it's a pretty rough job. 
and only a few have served beyond just a handful of years. One even served for only a day, <laughs> and that was when things got really bad right before the Civil War. And this brings me to two examples of when the House of Representatives couldn't pick a speaker. One was in 1855. This was an interesting year because it was a limbo time for American political parties. Only the Democratic Party existed in any functional faction, and it was very split over slavery. Uh, the Republican Party was just beginning, and then there were a couple of other parties, like the Whigs, who were kind of on their last legs, or they're just you know, here and there around the country. Um, as a result of all this factioning, uh, it took two months to pick a speaker over an extremely contentious gathering. Uh, fist fights broke out. Members back then would carry guns in the chamber, and once in a while, one would fall on the floor, and everyone would, would gasp, fearing it would go off. Uh, in order to finally get a speaker of that Congress, they had to change the rules to get a plurality vote instead of a majority. Um, then again, this happened in 1859, right as the Civil War was coming on. The Republicans had gotten organized, and they were fielding candidates, but the Democrats were still pretty formidable, and it took 44 ballots and another, ballots and another two months to get the speaker. And it got so bad and chaotic that the clerk grabbed the mace, which is a symbol the House adopted in 1789 for the sergeant of arms to use in a force order. And he charged down into the fray with the mace, just held it up just to try to remind everybody why they were there. In other words, he was using a stick to try to maintain order. Um, the members eventually picked a speaker in the chair who had no clear partisan loyalty. And this was because he was a freshman congressman. He was an unknown. He was a guy named William Pennington from New Jersey. And, and Pennington was, as you would think, he was kind of a nominal speaker for a while. But um, as the Civil War came on in the next Congress, the Southern Democrats left. And the Republicans were very strong. And so the Republicans could outvote them for everything. Um, Steven Spielberg's Lincoln, the movie, is probably the only uh, pop culture thing out there that depicts the House of Representatives and their speaker, Schuyler Colfax, who he was from Indiana, he broke precedent by voting. He voted for the 13th Amendment to abolish slavery when it came to the floor. I actually witnessed a speaker vote when I was a staffer when the Republicans tried to add a prescription drug benefit to Medicare back in 2003. House Speaker Denny Hastert, Hastert had to take to the floor and vote uh, because the, the bill, the vote was so split. Uh, so it can be a brutal job. As we've seen recently in the news, whoops, I'm getting into current events. <laughs> anyway, this is who runs the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, and he's third in line for the presidency. Thanks for listening and watching this special edition of the Novice Office podcast. We will resume our regularly scheduled episodes uh, with that two-part series on American cities and their governments that I told you about uh, last time. Until then, keep it free.